Hey guys, this is the New Heights Church Podcast, and we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today. We hope this message inspires and encourages you. Here at New Heights, we exist to love people and point them to Christ. Enjoy today's service. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter number four. We're going to start around verse 18. Everybody just say, touch life. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about something that is undefeated. Something that has been winning at whatever it was trying to win since uh, the dawn of time, if you will. But before I get into the specifics, I want to talk about where we're going to read today. Because in Matthew chapter number four, we're going to hear about what Jesus did as soon as he was identified and as soon as the father kind of let the world know who he really was. Because Jesus, when he showed up, uh, if you remember, he was born to a virgin named Mary and instantaneously or practically instantly, they had to go into hiding because of uh, all the wickedness and all the, what we call uh, infanticide, which literally means killing babies. Um, we now call it abortion, but it's a big word, but it literally means to kill little babies. So when Jesus was born, the Bible says that a guy named Herod was trying to stop the king of the Jews from rising up because some wise men had identified that the king of the Jews had been born or they were following a star that would verify a prophecy that was taking place and they were seeking the king of the Jews. This guy decided, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have all the the babies killed so that uh, the next king of the Jews does not rise up and then overtake what's actually going on. Now, this is not new. The devil almost always attacks the innocent. And babies are innocent. This is not what my sermon is about, but just so we're all on the same page and we all understand what the Lord thinks about uh, abortion as a form of birth control, he does not like it and it is not a form of birth control. What it is, is taking of a life. And the Bible says that uh, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. So the argument about how far a baby is formed or not formed is null and void with regards to the Bible because before you were formed, he knew you. The Bible says that, that when Mary was, was visited by the angel and said, you know what, you're going to be, uh, you're going to have a baby. Uh, you're going to name his, you're going to name him Jesus. The Bible says she went to her cousin's house named Elizabeth. And when she got to Elizabeth's house, the Bible says that John the Baptist on the inside of Elizabeth jumped on the inside of her because of the baby that was on the inside of Mary. In other words, baby one recognized baby two, baby one jumped because baby two was in Mary's tummy or one, two, vice versa. I'm just talking about two different babies. So the reality is, is whenever you side with pro-choice, you are siding against God. I'm not saying that for amens. You can say that in the right charismatic church and the place will start shouting and push the walls down and scream and everything else. That is not why I'm saying it. I'm saying it because the Bible says it. 
when you get, listen, there is not one baby on the planet in a mother's womb or just delivered or any other side, any other time frame of a baby where the baby is pro-choice. There's never been a baby in the history of humanity that says, yeah, I don't think I want to live anymore. Because when you make that decision, you have decided that you know more than God knows. And that's not, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, we assume that God is correct in every situation. Can you say amen to that? So the scripture says that, that, that Jesus was born uh, to Mary and he began to get older. And then the Bible says he became about 30 years old and it was time for him to get baptized. And he goes to his cousin, John, and we call John, John the Baptist because John baptized people. So John, uh, Jesus walks up and they're at the river, they're at a river and, and, and John says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus says, Hey, John, I need you to baptize me. And he said, he goes, I can't baptize you, Jesus. You need to baptize me. You're the son of God. He said, I'm, I'm here to, to make a way for you, to prepare a way for you. He said, he said, no, I really need you to baptize me. And the Bible says that Jesus was baptized. Now we're going to have a baptism service in September. One of the first couple of weeks in September, make sure to mark that down. If you've never been water baptized, it's very important to be baptized because Jesus said to be baptized. But the scripture says that when Jesus came out of the water, when John the baptized, when John the Baptist baptized him, that, that uh, uh, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven in the form of a dove and rested on him. Then the Bible says that his daddy in heaven, God the Father, spoke from heaven and said, but, but, uh, Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So instantaneously in one picture, we see what is called the Godhead. God the Father spoke. God the Son was baptized, and God the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. The scripture says that his daddy said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We can take notes as parents. If you're a parent, you might ought to think about this. You should tell your children when they please you. Because children always want attention, and if they don't get attention when they do right, They'll do something that will get attention, whether it's right or not. So the father was giving us a very beautiful picture of how a parent should talk to their children when their children are walking in obedience. And if you said, man, my kids never walked in obedience a day in their life, I would say this. I would say, you got to start somewhere. If they put their napkin in their lap at dinner, you could say, I am so proud of you. Thank you for putting your napkin in your lap at dinner. And they, they'll sit there. And before you know it, they may act like they're not listening. But every child desires the approval of their parent. Every single child. You say, well, not my child. Well, just think about you for a minute. You might still be struggling with some things that your dad did not say to you. Or your mom did say to you. Or they were just overbearing and over the top. Or they didn't care at all. And you might still be struggling with that. You cannot look at how your child is acting and always think that's what's actually going on. Because a child, by definition, is immature. Even the most mature child is immature, and how could they not be? They've only been on the planet for X amount of years. 
So for us as parents, we are supposed to be raising our children, not letting them raise themselves. So all these things combine to where Jesus comes out of the water. And then the scripture says he was led by the spirit into the wilderness. When he's led into the wilderness, the Bible says he was tempted by the devil. The scripture says that when he was tempted, he did not throw lightning bolts at him. He did not kick him with his Galilean foot. He did not do anything that you are not capable of doing. What he did was quote the Bible. When the devil tempted him, every time he said, it is written. Matter of fact, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And the Bible says that the enemy came to him. It says, if you are the son of God, you should command these stones to be turned to bread. And Jesus said, I am actually keto, so I don't need any bread. (laughs) Jesus said to him, it is written. In other words, the scripture says, the Bible says, and, and when he said that, he said, the Bible says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word proceed is a present tense word. In other words, God never stops talking to you. The only question is, are you listening? So he said, he said, it is written. He did that three times. And finally, the devil got away from him and ran off. In other words, the Bible is what Jesus used to stop the devil's temptations, even in his life. How much more so, more so should we use the Bible to stop the temptations of the devil in our own life? Somebody give God a hand of praise if you're thankful for the Bible. <clears throat> So now Jesus gets ministered to by some angels. They strengthen him. Uh, they equip him. They bring, they breathe health into his body. And, and the scripture says that Jesus comes up to, uh, he comes now and he's walking by the sea of Galilee, verse 18. And Jesus walking by the sea saw two brothers, one named Peter or Simon and Andrew, his brother. So Simon, Peter and Andrew, and they were casting their net into the sea because they were fishermen. Now, I want to point out just a few things. If you're a note taker, you might ought to write this down. You'll never miss God by being diligent. You'll never miss God by being diligent. Don't ever get caught in the trap of, oh, I just, I can't go to work anymore because I just, I just got to spend time with God. Let me tell you something. You have some responsibilities to your family to be able to feed your family, to be able to take care of your family, to be able to provide for your family and all those things. And Jesus will show up at your place of business and talk to you just exactly like he did to Simon and Andrew. So never get caught up in the trap of your job or your profession or your occupation or your business. Now, if you need to change your occupation, that's a different thing. But God is not telling you, don't be concerned about feeding your family. It actually says in the New Testament, if you do not work, you do not eat. So he is at work. He's at his place of business. Both of these guys, they're casting their nets. They're fishing. They're doing what they do. And Jesus walks up on the scene and says to them, listen, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Couple of things we want to point out. First off, he said, follow me. He didn't say, here's the destination. 
Because if there was a destination, we would look at life as if there was an end point. But you are now uh, in Christ Jesus, those of you who love God. And whenever you stop breathing here, it's just going to be a blip. And then you're just going to step into eternity. There is no end point to this thing. There is no end. There, when he said, follow me, it's because you're going to have to get good at following. Because if Jesus said, if Jesus just said, go, let, let's say he said, uh, uh, go to Dallas, then Dallas would be the end game and you would just be working to get to Dallas. And as soon as you got to Dallas, you'd feel like it was over, but nothing is ever over in the body of Christ. He said, follow me because this week it might be Dallas. Next week it might be Tucson. Next week it might be Ontario or wherever he's calling you to be. It might be uh, uh, talking to your neighbor across the fence. It might be talking to your coworker over a, over a glass of water. It might be talking to your friend or your family member over, uh, over the internet or anything like that. He said, follow me. You're going to have to get good. And, and you have to understand in the body of Christ, Jesus was asked, they, they said to him, he said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he said, you guys don't even know how to ask the right questions. He said, I will answer the question you should have asked me because the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was the question that got Lucifer thrown out of heaven. I will ascend to the side of the north. I will be seated by the right hand of the father. And instantaneously, like lightning from the sky, the soon, as soon as he began to worry about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he was flung out of heaven. Being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven has nothing to do with you. There is already one who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus was asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He said this. He said, listen, you guys aren't even asking the right question. He said, the question you should ask is this. How do you get to heaven? He said, you can't even make it to heaven unless you're converted like a little child. Let me tell you one of the first things they teach kids to do in preschool. Okay, everybody line up. All right, you're the leader today and you're the caboose, okay? Now, here's the thing. We're all going to the same spot, so don't go pushing each other. Make sure you stay in line and then we're going to follow. Okay, everybody follow me. And half the time, the teacher's walking backwards. Follow me. Sometimes I'll have a flag. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Because one of the most important things that a child can learn how to do is follow somebody that is worth trusting. Jesus showed up and he said, let me teach you guys something that will change your life. You guys are going to learn how to catch people like you've been catching fish, but it all starts with being willing to follow me. You have to turn where I turn and stop where I stop and run when I run and walk when I walk. And, and when it's time to be together, we'll be together. But you've got to get to the place where you don't look at religion as if it is an end point. Because the reality is I didn't come here to establish religion. I came here to establish relationship. And that relationship is you following me all the days of your life. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishermen do something very interesting. They take something from one environment and put it in another. A fish lives underwater. A fish is most comfortable underwater. But a fisherman snatches them out of their comfort zone and puts them in a different environment. In your life, you have to get to the place where you understand Christianity and evangelism is actually taking people from one environment where they're most comfortable, by the way, and placing them in a new environment. You say, well, a fish dies whenever it comes out of that environment. 
The Bible says I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You can't offend a corpse. So the scripture says that, that, that Jesus said, you're going to have to get good at following me. And fishermen take something from one environment and put it in another. And this is very, very important. Verse 20 says this, they straightway or immediately left their nets and followed him. Somebody say straightway. It's very important. Whether you have been living for God for 115 years and you walk across water whenever you see a river or you just found out who Jesus is and you're falling in love with him like we are. You have to make a decision that immediately he is worth following. They left their nets. In other words, they left something that they were very comfortable with behind. Because here's the reality of your situation and all of us. The most powerful thing that you may come in contact with on planet earth is culture. And culture is undefeated. Because no matter how strong your encounter with God is, When you leave that encounter, if you go back to that same culture, it will snuff out the encounter. The Bible says a dog returns to its own vomit just like a fool returns to his folly. I remember one time we had, it was when our church first started, and, and, and the Lord was really doing some beautiful stuff. And Crystal and I, this one particular lady came to our church and we'd been working on her for a long months and months and months, try to get her to church, talk to her about the Lord. We prayed with her, all these different things. She comes to church, cries her eyes out, has the most incredible encounter with God. It was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And as soon as I left service, I was so thankful to the Lord. And the Lord asked me quickly and bluntly, he said, now what are you gonna do with her? Because this was her encounter but she's going back to her culture because she lived in a house and the house was nuts and she was around things that were crazy and she'd seen things her whole life and she was a product of things. I said, well, well, what do I do? He said, you're gonna have to give her new culture because culture is undefeated. This is why when Jesus showed up, What he did for three years was spend time around 12 people doing everything he could to change their culture because their culture was keep the kids away from Jesus. And he said, that's not the kingdom. He said, let the kids come to me. What their, what their culture was is don't heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, are you nuts? You think my dad cares more about the Sabbath than he cares about somebody who is sick and hurting and dying? Culture. Because culture sucks you back or pushes you forward. Because culture is the most powerful gravity in your life. That's why you like to eat what you grew up eating. 
culture. That's why if you don't work on it, you will sound exactly like your parents, positive or negative, whichever way it goes. That's why if, if racism is tolerated in your home, it doesn't get weaker. It gets stronger generation after generation because culture is undefeated. So Jesus came and took the culture of the kingdom of heaven and showed us what it looks like walking around planet earth. Culture changes everything. But the problem with culture is it requires you to leave your nets. You can't, you can't stay the same. You can't be around the same stuff. You can't, and I'm going to talk, I'm going to stand down here so it doesn't feel like I'm talking at people. You can't be around the same people all the time and act like it's not going to affect you. They don't need you to agree with them and make their sin feel better. What they need is for somebody to drop their nets and actually follow Jesus so that your culture can actually change. So that instead of when bad times come, your culture is not, well, they've always been against me. If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Always knew it was going to be bad. Oh, here comes the storm. How do you know? Because my neck hurts and my ear hurts and my tooth hurts and my eye socket hurts and everything else. My daddy had a bad knee. I've had a bad knee since I was eight months old. That's culture. But we don't recognize it because we are so inundated in it. We are neck deep in culture, whether we want to admit it or not. And what happens is if you don't break out of that culture, the culture continues to kick the can down the road. Which is why for the next few weeks, we're talking about touching life. And I just wanted, I just want to let you know, we're going to have, a, did anybody see the, the, the booth set up out there with the life group? Didn't that look cool? Come on, give them a big hand. I thought it looked awesome. But what happens is when you get in a life group, you start to actually touch life and life has a name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said. So our life groups are effectively Jesus groups. We get around people that love him and know him. And some people just met him. And some people have been living for him for a long time. And some people are somewhere in the middle. And some people just got married. And some people want to be married. And some people just got divorced. And some people are widows. And some people are, 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 are super rich. And some people are challenged in their, in their finances right now, but they're coming out of it. And some people, we're all over the map, but Jesus ties us all together. We don't all have the same last name. We don't all have the same profession. We don't all have the same education. We do not all have the same culture. But Jesus came that our culture might be changed and refined to look like the culture of the kingdom of heaven. So when Jesus was asked, how should we even pray? You should pray, he said, that the kingdom of God would come here as it is in heaven. I want the culture to change. That's what he said. So the first thing he did after he got baptized, after he defeated the devil in the wilderness, the first thing that he did was build a life group. He said, you follow me. 
you follow me, you follow me, you follow me. And he said, we're going to get together and we're going to eat together. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Just felt that right there in my spirit (laughs) or somewhere in this section. I don't know if it was my spirit. We're going to get together. We're going to break bread together. We're going to meet in each other's homes. We're going to meet in coffee shops publicly. We're going to sit in restaurants and people are going to look and say, how come you got white people, black people, brown people, pink people, yellow people, red people, orange people, and every other color people together. And we'll just look over and say, Jesus brought us together because the kingdom of heaven, the culture is not the culture you come from. It's the culture we gravitate to. Because whatever, listen to this, in your life, think about this for just a second. Whatever you pursue, you acquire. Almost without exception, everything you've ever honest. Now, there may be some things you're like, well, I tried to lose some weight. But you know what? It's Monday. So praise the Lord. I'm talking about really pursue. Everything you have really, almost without exception, everything you have really pursued, you have attained, you have acquired. The question is, can you leave your nets and pursue the kingdom? Because if you really want to see what God will do with your life, you're going to have to touch life. And life itself is when we get together. And and here's the thing. I want to just say this. We're going to have our, our life group Sunday is in two weeks from now, and everybody's going to get a chance to sign up for a life group. We have some great life group leaders. Uh, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, if you have any questions, you can stop by Guest Central, and, and Shardana and John and Lucretia are happy to help you answer any of those questions. It is going to be a beautiful time together, but I, I just want to let you know this. Nobody has time. Well, I'd love a life group, but I just don't have time. Nobody has time. Nobody. That's not a good excuse. That's just an excuse. And if the devil thinks that making you busy will stop you from getting together with believers, you'll have two flat tires a day. Because you just said, I don't have time. And he's going to start choking out all the time you thought you actually had. Instead of saying, I'm going to drop my nets and I'm going to get together. Now, I got to admit, I was not when when we started. I've only been a pastor for six years. And I was not a big proponent of life groups whenever we first started the church. I just wasn't, I I wasn't against them by any stretch, but I just wasn't really pro-life groups or whatever. And then the Lord corrected me very strongly. The Bible says, whom the, whom the father loves, he corrects. He said, your entire life is a benefit of the culture that you've been around. And I started thinking about my parents. 
are godly people. They love the Lord. My brothers love the Lord. My family loves the Lord. My friends that I spent, that, that when I grew up, that my parents had us around, they were godly people. As I grew older, we developed our relationships at church. We didn't call them life groups back then. We called them uh, the, the young marriage group and we, uh, the young marriage class. And we called them the Bible study. And we called them all these other things. But we were always in and around kingdom people. And we were pouring into other people, but we were constantly being poured into. And I was a benefactor and still am. A, I got people that call me on a daily basis and the, the conversation won't go two minutes that we do not start, start talking about the goodness of God. Because that is my culture. That is, that is, that is the culture of my life. So I am surrounded by this culture of the kingdom. And this has been pursued. This has been, uh, uh, brought about because of, uh, the fact that I'm standing on my parents' shoulders and they showed us these things. But, uh, but at, at the risk of everything, you've got to decide that I'm going to leave some of the stuff that's not getting me where I want to go. And I'm going to make time to get myself in and around people that I can speak life into and they can speak life into me. Because when you get your culture changed, everything changes. Now what breaks your heart is what breaks God's heart. Now what motivates you is what motivates God. Now, now all of a sudden it starts to make sense to serve the house of God, listen to this, with gladness. Because your whole culture changes. There is no life outside of Jesus. None. There is no life outside of Christ Jesus. And anything outside of him is a temporary pleasure if it is even enjoyable at all. He is life itself. And when we set aside time and say, I'm going to go, I know it's going to be like whatever. I might even smell like work when I get there, but I'm going to walk in with a bag of chips because I'm supposed to bring some food. I'm going to walk in with a bag of chips and I'm going to say, here's some tortilla chips and we're going to sit down and we're going to eat. And then somebody's going to crack open a Bible and say, here's what Jesus said. What do we think about it? And then everybody's going to talk about it. And I don't know why, but all of a sudden I start feeling my spirit get stronger. Because you start to touch life. Let me just tell you how it's going to go in your life group. If Who in here has ever been a, a part of any life groups at New Heights Church? Let me tell you what's going to happen for those of you who are starting this fall in a life group for the first time at New Heights Church. I want to tell you about the first three nights that you're going to get together, or mornings, whenever it is. doesn't matter if it's an all ladies group, an all men's group, doesn't matter if it's a married group, doesn't matter if it's a singles group, doesn't matter if we got life groups that have like kids, um, uh, you know, people that watch kids because we have kids there. We have ones that there's no kids allowed. Somebody was like, well, I kind of like that one, praise the Lord. Uh, but we have all different kinds. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter what kind it is, but tell you what's going to happen the first three times, okay? You're going to get there, you're going to finish up, there's going to be the super duper life group person. That it's just like life group, life group. They're almost going to have like a life group tattoo. You know what I'm saying? They're going to be like, it's going to be like life group. And they're going to be like, what's up? You know what I mean? And it's going to be, it's going to, it might be a little bit like, like whatever. And the reason they're so excited, I'm going to tell you why they're so excited. Because the culture of Jesus changed their life. 
And so they're going to sit there, and when it's over, they're going to be like, you need prayer for anything? I'd love to pray for you. And you're going to be like, man, I don't even know you, okay? That's how you're going to think. And you're going to be like, this is stupid. I can remember all these people's names. Why do we need name tags? And then the next week, you're going to be sitting there going, hey, how's it going, Jake? How are you today? Yeah, I've been thinking about you all week. Somebody's going to walk up to you. They're going to say, can I pray for you something? The first week, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be like, well, you know, yeah, if you would pray for me. I'm kind of going through some stuff. I got this one part of my yard that it's turning brown. I don't know why. I'm just believing God, you know, cattle on a thousand hills. And, you know, for, he leads me beside still waters, you know, puts me in green pastures. I just want to see that grass turn green. And that life group superstar is going to be like, in Jesus' name, we're standing in agreement for that brown grass to turn green. Glory to God. And you're going to wake up Monday morning and you're going to get a knock on your door and it's going to be your yard guy. And he's going to go, hey, you got a sprinkler down over here in the front left. I just found, I don't know why, I should have found it months ago, but I just found it. It's all brown around it. You're going to be like, what is happening? (laughs) Then the next week, you're going to go to life group again. Same thing. You're almost going to, you're going to remember like three people's name. And then everybody else, you're going to be glad they had name tags. And you're going to sit there at the end of the, at the end of life group, which won't be long, maybe an hour. You're going to sit there and they're going to say, you need prayer for anything? Yeah, you know what? God's been so faithful. My grass is greening up over in that right corner. Pretty excited about that. But I'll tell you the the other thing is uh, I've got a cat. And I'm just believing God it'll run off. And old, old life group, Betty, she's going to bang those hands together like thug life. Yeah, let's pray. In Jesus' name, we know you don't like cats, Lord. You're going to wake up Monday morning. And all of a sudden, you're going to hear, meow. You're going to start blaming God. Why have you done this to me, Lord? In the third week, something's going to break. No life group Betty's going to walk in. Say, can I pray with you about anything? And you're going to say, can I just be honest with you? I don't know why, but I feel far from God. My home is in disarray. I haven't been as kind to my wife as I'd like to be. They're threatened to lay people off at work. I don't know what I would do if they laid me off. All I know how to do is this. And all of a sudden, life group Betty's going to hold your hand. And say, God, I know exactly how they feel because I was there. 
and I know exactly what you will do. You will show up in their life like you did for me. Lord Jesus, would you begin to heal their heart now? Would you begin to make them feel you again? Would you answer their prayers? Would you soften their heart once again? And then all of a sudden, you're going to find out why the first thing Jesus created was a life group. Because the one thing, if you have two hands, if you, if you accidentally have a cut on your arm, your other hand can doctor the wound. In other words, your body can be a part of healing your body. And we are all members of the body of Christ. We were designed to help heal one another. I'm too busy. All I have time to do is fish. All I have time to do is play golf. Because let me tell you something. People do one of two things. They do what they want to do. Or they do what they have to do. You show up at work. At 6 o'clock in the morning. Because they told you. You have to be here. At 6 o'clock. To have this job. Whatever it is. And everybody does what they want to do. Everybody. I know people that don't have two pennies. They can rub together. Yet somehow or another. They're still doing. Whatever their hobby is. They're still what I don't know how it happened. I'm so broke. I don't know what to do. Holding a thousand dollar telephone. I just love this new app. You you sit there and you you punch these these pieces of candy and they blow up. I'm sitting there going, "Where'd you get the thousand dollar phone, Mister? I don't have any money." Because we do what we have to do, and we do what we want to do. Discipleship is turning our want-tos into I want to follow you. I want to touch you. I want to touch life. I want to get this old culture that has created the me that I am. And I'm not mad at every part of my culture. But there are some parts of my culture that I don't want to perpetuate. I want a new culture. I want to see like you see Jesus. I want to hear like you hear. I want to know how you know. I want to, what moves you, Jesus? That's what I want to move me. And you put yourself around people that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, that don't smell like you, that don't use the same type of hair care products as you, that don't wear the same type of makeup as you, that don't maybe even live in the same exact neighborhood as you. And all of the sudden, you start seeing only Jesus could actually bring us together. Because when we get together, one of the most beautiful references in the Bible, one puts a thousand to flight, two puts 10,000 
where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. Amen. I mentioned there's going to be some financial teaching coming up uh, this fall. And then in the spring, we're also going to have like a once a month intensive right here on campus. All the life groups can come uh, to that intensive. It's going to be wonderful. And this fall, we're going to teach on godly finances. How to get out of debt the way the Bible teaches. How to buy a house. If you already have a house, how to start to invest. If you, if you, if you are trying to say, well, I can't even, I can't even spell investment. I just wish I had something left over at the end of the week. We're going to teach you some godly principles that maybe you've never heard or didn't know were in the Bible. So that your family finances can shift. Because the will of God for your life is that you actually prosper and walk in health. So this fall, we're going to have a financial intensive. It's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal time. But you're going to meet people. You're you're going to come as a life group. Your whole life group is going to come. And you're going to meet people. And we're going to learn more about what the Bible says. And, And here's the thing. I'm almost done teaching. Give me, give me like, I don't know, 60 more seconds, maybe 120 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> but what happens is this. You come to a place like this and you gather around life and life begins to get on you and begins to become your culture. This summer has been a summer of his presence at New Heights Church. We have experienced him in ways that some people live their whole life and they never touch Jesus like he has been in our services and in our environment. And I don't mind telling you, I'm a great preacher. And I can preach and I can shout and I can get us all excited. And there's a lot of good to that. The Bible says through the foolishness of preaching, people get saved. It's one of the most beautiful things in the body of Christ. I love preaching. I love preachers. But sometimes, like, if you were changing the oil in your car and somebody was explaining to you how to do it, you wouldn't want them, like, preaching with an organ behind them telling you, well, the first thing you need to do is go down to AutoZone. AutoZone! Get you some 10W30. Don't get the 10W40. Get the 10W30 and put it in your car. Once you get to your car, you're going to want to find your place. Put something under and catch the oil. There's going to be a bolt you're going to have to take out under there called a plug. You're going to undo that plug. And when that happens, all the oil's going to flow out. And it's going to flow like a river. Just like out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You're going to be like, just tell me how to change the doggone oil. This is what a life group does. This is what our intensives will do. They'll give you brass tacks, rubber meets the road, opportunities to understand what the Bible actually says about your life. We're not throwing preaching away. Preaching is one of the most beautiful things in the body of Christ. But sometimes we just need to be taught. Sometimes we just need to be around the right environment. Did you know the wrong environment can make you sick? And the right environment can make you whole? 
Sometimes you just need to have your family around a family that you want your family to look like so that everybody can start seeing what's actually possible. Oh, wait a minute. You can actually have a relationship with their kids where they don't yell at you every day. Yes, you can. But you got to start where you are. You can't start where somebody else is because you're not there. You got to drop your net. Peter didn't go slap the net out of James' hand. He dropped his net and followed him. Let's give God a big hand of praise this morning. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episodes will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, follow us on social media. That is the best way to stay up to date on everything happening at New Heights. We look forward to you joining us next time on the New Heights podcast. And if you are ever in the Bryan College Station area, we invite you to come out to New Heights Church for a live service. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.